Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast series brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host, Nithya Subramanian, an editor at the Institute. Pakistan is in the midst of many political developments with protests by the Tehrik-e-Labaik Pakistan against blasphemy in France. At the same time, the country has major stakes in the Afghan peace process, and recently both India and Pakistan announced a ceasefire at the LOC. To put all these into perspective, we have with us Dr. Asim Sajjad Akhtar, a non-resident fellow at ISAS and an associate professor of political economy at the National Institute of Pakistan Studies, Kaid-e-Azam University. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Asim. Thank you for having me. We'll start by the latest developments in Pakistan. We've seen um, many protests by the TLP in the recent days, and these protests were followed by incidents of shooting, as well as hostage taking of police by the party. As we speak, we hear of news that the government will present a resolution to expel the French envoy. How do you think these developments will impact religious political groups in Pakistan, even though the government has said that the ban is not for any political reason. And what are your thoughts on this expulsion of the French envoy? Well, I mean, first of all, just to be clear, I mean, the the French envoy has not been expelled yet. Um, This latest uh, episode of, or confrontation, I think, Um, For your listeners, uh, it's important to bear in mind that this is a demand that this this organization, the TLP, first um, put forward now some six months ago, I think it was in October or November 2020. And um, there were, as has happened in the past, um, you know, some years as well, different points in time, there was a, a French publication, a periodical, which published some cartoons, which were uh, perceived to be blasphemous. Um, And that in France, sorry, and that then led to these protests and demands for, you know, Pakistan to sever ties uh, with France and expel the ambassador. That initial protest in November was then put off by the government by, um, by promising that you know, precisely actually this, that that a resolution would be put to the National Assembly and then a decision would be made. And so, you know, that whole series of events has, has sort of been delayed. Uh, it was the, the deadline passed in February, at which point the government again asked for time. And then the uh, incidents of the last few days where the TLP then said, okay, well, you've repeatedly not fulfilled your commitment, and so we're going to march on Islamabad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then there is arrests and and a and a ban and so on and so forth. Now, in a sense, this is, I mean, certainly um, there's there's new elements or dimensions um, with regards to this particular organization, the TLP, because it's most of its backing is in Punjab, and it's a particular sect which we call the Brailvis. I won't get into that. Mostly, I think what is was important to bear in mind is that there's this sort of a game of musical chairs uh, that that is reflected in this in this in this sort of situation, and that is that you know the religious right, as most um, even relatively uninformed 
um, sort of observers of Pakistan will, 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 will testify to has sort of been there and thereabouts and, and, and various governments in, in at least for the last 20 years since um, what is called the war on terror began. There's been this back and forth where sometimes the government clamps down on these religious right or these organizations and then other times does deals with them. And so there's this on again, off again sort of relationship. And the TLP in this most recent episode is, is just in some sense another example of the same. Um, and so your question of, well, what will be different or what will what does this signify? In a sense, it obviously we'll have to wait and see, but, but in a sense, it doesn't signify much at all because this has happened before um, that, you know, a, a particular organization is banned or prescribed or clamped down upon. Um, and then at a subsequent stage, whether it's that particular organization or another sect is sort of, you know, tolerated or, or willfully supported by, by segments of, of, uh, of the Pakistani state. And then, it, you know, the same situation repeats itself. They get, so to speak, too big for their boots, and then they have to be clamped down upon again, et cetera, et cetera. So, A, will the French ambassador be expelled? I would be very surprised um, because, of course, that would be a massive diplomatic um, or signal a massive diplomatic crisis. But is this the last of, the, of, of these sorts of episodes? I, see, I doubt that as well. I think this will happen again. The religious right has, you know, in, in pockets, significant pockets of support in Pakistan. And, uh, you know, governments and the state more generally has, has always towed a sort of, in some ways, ambiguous line towards them. And more generally, uh, you know, state ideology and the kinds of long-term, um, you know, uh, sort of political uh, commitments that the state has made or its, or its, or its priorities have always, uh, there's been, there's, you know, religion and the, and the sort of the politicization of religion has been, has been part of Pakistan's story from the beginning. So I, I don't see this as, as the last episode of its kind. Uh, unfortunately, I think there'll be more to come yet. You said more to come yet. So, do you mean that um, we, there would be they would gain more political traction because uh, so far they haven't really entered the formal political space of government? Um, so, do you see the right wing parties now playing a more uh, dominant, not or not dominant, but significant role in um, in the governance of Pakistan? Well, I mean, that's an interesting, it's not entirely correct to say that they've not been in government before. So the TLP, this particular organization has had a very sudden rise to prominence. It only was formed, uh, in, I think, 2015, if I'm not wrong. And by 2018, the last time we had a general election in this country, um, it had, you know, in terms of popular vote, I think it actually won um, something like the fifth or the sixth highest share of, of party votes. It didn't win many seats because of the first past the post system, but you know that's quite a meteoric rise. Now this is one segment or, or one particular party, a religious party, which as I mentioned briefly earlier, is, represents the Brelvi sect. Other um, religious parties, the Obandi parties. Um, have have had shares of government again in the past, whether it be uh, the Jamiyat Ulema Islam or the Jamaat Islami, 
whether you know that that these religious parties, whatever denomination we speak of, may never have you know enjoyed a sort of um, let's say uh, the kind of you know or or government in toto, like you know um, sort of winning an election per se, is of course a valid point. I think there is that's an important thing to be reminded of, especially when Pakistan is depicted in blanket terms as you know, sort of dominated by the religious right. In a sense, it isn't. It is and it isn't. So the public, religious right has, I think, and over-determines the public discourse, um, you know, what can and cannot be said, taboos, social norms, um, you know, therefore it creates, it, it, it sort of delimits um, what, 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 you know, as I say, what, what you can do in politics, religion, is sort of a no-go area for everybody else but the right wing. But it doesn't necessarily, hasn't always been able to translate that into, as you say, votes and, and winning an election. But the TLP, I think, is, is I wouldn't say it's, it's, a, it's a major break from the trend, but I think it is important to bear in mind that it's, it's, it, it has roots in the country's biggest uh, province in terms of uh, you know majority province with Punjab. And I think that's that's an important factor. And, and if last time's election result is anything to go by, there is a chance that it could uh, make more inroads. But again, there's so many unknowns and so many shadowy parts of the story, including, as I said earlier, um, to what extent uh, it will enjoy or not enjoy um, sort of patronage by the state, uh, you know, moving forward. So we'll also move forward to Afghanistan, where Pakistan is expected to play a key role in the peace process after the American withdrawal. And now it almost seems certain that the Taliban will return to power. Do you think this would embolden such religious movements in Pakistan as well, as many share the same ideological mentorship? Certainly. I mean, look, I mean, I think, it, as you say, it's not rocket science that... Uh, 20 years, it will be 20 years, Biden has announced that September 11th is when American troops will withdraw, uh, or at least the final um, swathe of American troops will withdraw. So 20 years after uh, Afghanistan was invaded and occupied, basically, the, you know, the whole exercise has proven to be basically uh, pretty much a disaster show. You know, there's no peace, the Taliban are still there. Um you know, but for pockets like parts of Kabul, much of the much of Afghanistan remains war torn, um, and there's strife and heavily polarized. Um, and so, and and you know, yes, and and the Taliban in Afghanistan have always uh, there's been spillover effects in Pakistan, not to mention, of course, is, which relates to the earlier point that um you know the widespread perception and 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 you know that's not just perception there's of course significant kernel of truth in that that the taliban or at least what we call the afghan taliban have always sort of enjoyed the support of um you know pakistan strategists so you know all of that does point to the fact that you know if and when um in post uh, america afghanistan the Taliban are front and center. If they're not um, unilaterally ruling the roost, then they have a big share of power that will and already has in Pakistan's border regions with Afghanistan. There are um, similar kinds of strife 
militancy um, that that have uh, that that have persisted throughout these this you know these past couple of decades. So it's not just because the Taliban would ostensibly be in government in uh, come September 11, but even prior to that, it's obvious. So so certainly yes. The, and this is what I was sort of hinting at earlier. There's different types of denominations and sects. So the Taliban are are not Brailvis, uh, not even close. But there is a certain um, synergy between these all of these different sects. I mean, there's there's a lot of conflict as well, mind you, between within Pakistani politics between different sectarian sort of uh, groups. But uh, just to give you an example, the, what I was. The, the, the organization I was referring to earlier, the Jamiyat Ulama Islam, headed by uh, Maulana Fazlur Rahman, who is widely known to be very close to the Taliban, um, both within Pakistan and Afghanistan, um, have, despite the fact that he, you know, he hails from a Deobandi sectarian background, um, in the last few days with the TLP fiasco, he has on more than one occasion very explicitly condemned the government for clamping down on the TLP and said and has said we will support the TLP and its demands. So, you know, despite all internal conflicts within the religious right, you know, if there is a Taliban regime with power in Kabul and, you know, domestically within Pakistan, different denominations, religious groups um, continue to be influential and enjoy some form of social support support within society and also you know from time to time in different permutations uh, are, are are enjoying or are, are provided uh, or, or patronized by our own uh, establishment then this is as I said earlier a story with no foreseeable end and uh, unfortunately a story that uh, doesn't portend very well, both for the peace of Pakistan and for its whatever 230 million people, nor for Afghanistan and its uh, much longer history of troubles. So yeah, that uh, certainly there's there's more to come uh, with with what follows the American uh, exodus. Turkey has emerged as an important player in the Afghan in the Afghan peace process, and it has also developed strong ties with Pakistan. Um, Prime Minister Imran Khan and President Erdogan also shared a special bond, and the two spoke ahead of the Turkey talks. Uh, do you think this will complicate Pakistan's traditional reliance on Saudi Arabia and the UAE that are at loggerheads with Turkey? I mean, you know, of course, there there's a lot of speculation involved. Will it or will it not? I think just again, just to give some background, I think the Pakistani state historically um, has sort of tried to balance many different external patterns. You know, so of course, there's the Americans, and um, we haven't talked about it in this podcast, but there's the Chinese influence in Pakistan now. Um, then. As you've just talked about, there's the Gulf states, the Saudis, and and uh, you know the UAE, uh, the Emirates, um, and and Turkey now. So, you know, any one of these different sort of powers, um, for instance, let's just take the US and China, or as you just said, Turkey vis-a-vis the Gulf states, their own um, rivalries uh, often do play out in a sense. Not just in Pakistan, but also in Pakistan. So, 
will it or will it not um you know with 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 Pakistan's emergent relationship with Turkey which mind you is not just started under the Imran Khan dispensation uh Nawaz Sharif and the Muslim League uh noon uh, government was very close to Turkey uh and remains I think close to Turkey so there's a longer trajectory of uh cooperation with with uh with the well, at least the Turkey that that we know under Erdogan and, and the uh the sort of sort of diff- the slightly more uh the Turkey with a more Islamist bent um and that has coexisted with the fact that Pakistan continues to have deep ties with Saudi Arabia with the Gulf states um and just to take an example some of the recent parleys or or you know sort of speculation of some some lessening of tensions between Pakistan and India is widely uh reported to have been facilitated by the UAE so you know all of these foreign patrons um despite their rivalries and conflicts um you know the pakistani state in a sense like that's that's been its in some ways it's uh, it's it's modus operandi right from the very beginning from the time it came into existence you know um whether it be on, during the cold war or now it 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 does and and of course that's a very high stakes and risky business because then sometimes regional and and even superpower conflicts have spilled over into pakistan itself and that in a sense is what you know all of these things we were discussing about the religious right i think um, there is a long history as, as as everyone knows what we know today as a religious right was was of course heavily patronized by the western world uh through the 1980s um against the soviet union so these are the sorts of and not just the western world but as you say also the arab the gulf states so these are the sorts of um you know uh dynamics that we've always seen in pakistan more or less um and i don't think that that ongoing cooperation with turkey is is going to hold pakistan back from continuing to for instance you know we rely so much on oil imports on saudi arabia and the gulf I don't think that's going to change just to take an example. So I think these these high stakes sort of uh, encounters and parleys with foreign countries will continue um and also as will the the spillover effects of some of these rivalries that are are actually not about Pakistan's people but end up affecting Pakistan's people uh nonetheless. while staying on the topic of afghanistan um, once the us troops withdraw pakistan will be pivoted to the center between united states and china how do you think it will be able to nav- navigate between the two to forward its own interests right yes yeah. so i mean there you go that's what we were just talking about i mean it it has navigated between the two and of course this is a long story i mean pakistan has since at least the 1960s has cultivated ties with china even as it was one of um the frontline sort of sort of uh, states against um communism in in west asia you know in terms of and and enjoyed a lot of us support and backing and military assistance but it, that didn't stop it from also cultivating ties with china so this is as i suggested earlier this very high stakes um 
tension-ridden sort of balancing act um, is something that it's done with regards to the U.S. and China for decades. And um, that's just come into focus now more because on the one hand, there was the, the, the Taliban and Afghanistan and the American occupation of that country and Pakistan sort of at least on the surface and to a significant extent supporting that, even if, if uh, also maintaining its own um, uh, sort of strategic uh, sort of interests there. And then on the other hand, there was uh, around the same, sort of in the same period, uh, there's been China's influx into the region via the Belt and Road Initiative and more specifically with um, the massive uh, investment that we know is the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. And, and both of these things have been happening um, in parallel. And uh, so, I mean, as I said earlier, I fully expect that that will continue to be the case. There will continue to be efforts to, to manage both of these, you know, superpower relationships. Um, and what will come of it, it's hard to say, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I would be, you know, on the one hand, one would expect that on both sides, at least on the superpower sides, the Chinese and the Americans both, even if there are tensions and there are sort of some proxy minor conflicts that play out, um, that there will be an avoidance uh, of, of any major confrontation. And I suppose Pakistan is, uh, is, is sort of a go-between in a sense. But as I say, it's very high stakes. And, the, you know, the kinds of fallouts that this country and this region, Afghanistan, not least of all, has suffered um, due to whether it be the politicization of religion, militancy, um, and a whole other set of um, other sort of spillovers of of these sort of strategic wranglings. Um, it's it's hard to say. And even even with CPEC, you know, like there's constant concern and constant sort of reflection on the fact that that uh, you know that in Balochistan, for instance, which is Pakistan's biggest province, um, there's been uh, a low intensity insurgency uh, going on for the best part of 20 years. So even where there are sort of uh, sort of least claims that any form of patronage, whether it be from the Chinese or the Americans, are going to have long-term benefits for the Pakistani people, that then is also, um, you know, that that is thrown into sharp relief by the fact that there there is no peace and there's many, many parts of this country and the region at large continue to be restive and conflict-ridden. And I don't foresee that this balancing act uh, will necessarily uh, be done in a way that's any better than, than we've seen it to date, which means, as I said, continuing fallouts. And that, that uh, is what I meant by being high stakes. And, and perhaps strategic planners think that they're doing a good balancing act, keeping both sides of this superpower, both superpowers, Sort of relatively placated, but whether or not that benefits our people is, is a different question entirely. Yes, and finally, we'll have to talk about India and Pakistan. A ceasefire was announced across the LOC a few days ago, and uh, soon after, Pakistan um, announced that it would resume trade with India, but later pulled back this decision by bringing Kashmir back into the discussion. Um, and now, as we speak, the two foreign ministers, Dr. Jay Shankar and Mr. Shah Mahmood Qureshi, are both in the UAE 
we haven't of course heard reports of any meeting uh, but what are your views on the current state of relations between the two neighbors and uh, do you think the uae has played a role in this thaw yeah look i said earlier definitely that's the that's what's been reported i mean of course uh, ordinary lay people like us can only ever just rely on what's reported you know it's never these back channels um, we never know more than what we see or is reported but certainly reason to believe that the uae or the gulf would be interested because as we know that we have as we just talked about long standing relationships with pakistan and 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 a deepening especially economic relationships with india especially under modi and um so it wouldn't be surprising that the uae would have brokered such um uh, such talks but certainly that that you know these these sorts of sort of so called breakthroughs often do happen via third parties the, the real question of course is whether on both sides of what what the two protagonists themselves are actually um you know willing to turn a corner and you know if you look at like the lead up to what happened a couple of months ago when there was this sort of sudden almost dramatic um i think it was a writing of letters between modi and imran khan um around uh, pakistan's uh, sort of 23rd march or something if, if not before that um you know but prior to that there'd been all sorts of like verbal wrangling and, and, and frankly uh just straight up um the you know, not not language that you would that you would sort of associate with a thaw so so the suddenness within with which you know that 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 is given way to slightly more circumspect um sort of conversation or at least exchanges um i think obviously sheds doubt on, on the long term intentions on both sides and the reality is you just mentioned um about how for for a few weeks there was looked like there was a thaw and then there was sort of this reiteration on the pakistani side of you know the the unwilling the, the fact that the kashmir cause so to speak can't be compromised I and mean, the reality is that whether it be you know talking about kashmir in, on the pakistani side or even if you sort of um, think about the slightly more recent history of of indian politics and balwama and, and the sort of indian election um so on the indian side too there's a big both sides you know play to a domestic gallery and that domestic gallery you know we talked about the religious right in pakistan so you know in parallel in india religious right in india which is of course um, modi's one of modi's major domestic constituencies and so yes there's been a bit of a thaw in terms of the diplomatic language but are those domestic compulsions no longer there no i think they are there for both of these regimes in 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 place right now and i don't see uh, any fundamental shift away from that sort of that larger um the social base that whether it be the modi regime or the imran khan regime responds to so you know really the question is whether there are significant domestic constituencies for peace between the two sides and that in the long run is what will be meaningful not some sort of short term uae brokered you know thaw and that too um just a thaw in terms of the diplomatic language used for one another whether or not that actually translates into something meaningful as you say is something we'll have to wait and see when uh, when the two sides actually meet 
Thank you, Dr. Asim, for this wonderful conversation. As usual, you were insightful and it was a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for having me. Tiger is mine. You were listening to South Asia Chat. To learn more about our work, visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you.